Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Frisky Girl Farm, and we have Ellen and Ashley, and they farm on eight acres. It's a woman-owned, operated vegetable and flower farm in North Bend, Washington. They are entering their fourth growing season. They use sustainable growing practices to grow fresh, healthy food for their community. Farmers Ellen and Ashley, along with a small but mighty team, grow over 40 varieties of vegetables and 20 varieties of flowers for their 200-member CSA, restaurants, the North Bend Farmers Market, and their roadside stand. They believe in growing food that is good for people and the planet. They never use any synthetic pesticides, herbicides, or fertilizers, and practice organic techniques such as composting, crop rotation, and cover cropping. This season, we are adding an additional three acres of growing space where they plan to operate a UPIC sunflower patch and pumpkin patch. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So how did you guys get started? Well, we actually decided to become business partners before we ever met. Uh, So we (laughs) had a mutual friend who was running an urban farm where Ashley was working at the time, and uh, they invited me to come help them farm once the owner of that farm was leaving and uh, the three of us ended up taking over uh, and we farmed together there for a year before our other partner left and then Ashley and I realized that we work really well together and uh, decided to continue running the urban farm for the next two years and then we transitioned here to Frisky Girl Farm where we have five acres. Very cool and where was that farm located in the same area? Uh, Seattle, yeah, about 30 miles west of here. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. And before you were doing that, what were your life plans, if I may ask? Uh, I had a cubicle job for a while. Okay. That was not great. (laughs) Um, And then I did some other odd jobs, you know, dog walking. Uh, Uh What else? I worked in a yarn warehouse. Yeah, I cleaned houses and it just, you know, there's not enough snacks. (laughs) So you need a job where I could just graze constantly all day. (laughs) You know, it's interesting you say that because one of the crew, we were walking around the farm the other day. It's like, my gosh, you're always eating. And I was like, well, that's why I farm. Yeah. Because it's delicious. Merchandise, make sure it's good. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's actually really interesting this year, and we'll see if it changes, but I had COVID over the wintertime and I didn't, my taste didn't do anything. I didn't think until pepper season happened. And now peppers taste like plastic to me. Oh no. Oh no. I know. It's so dis- dis- disappointing, but. I just moved here. We can't grow peppers this year. It's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have, uh, you know, Carmen's, which is our favorite. We've been growing that one for a decade now, at least. Um, the lunch boxes, lots of lunch boxes, and then all the hot peppers, too, are fun, too. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, share your backstory. Yeah, so uh, I, this is Ellen, by the way. I 
am one of those weird people who decided at age 18 what I wanted to do with my life and then have basically been doing it ever since. So oh, cool. my first semester of college, I took this class called America's Dysfunctional Food System. Mm-hmm. And that led me down the path of learning more about where food comes from. And then uh, I started volunteering on the farm at my university and then working there and eventually living on that farm and working on another farm. And then uh, after college, interned on farms kind of all across the country in Michigan, Vermont, Montana, Oregon, and Washington um, before uh, my final season as a, an intern was at One Leaf Farm, which is uh, about 30 miles from here in Snohomish. Uh, and then uh, Ashley and I started re- running the urban farm together, which was now seven years ago. Oh, very cool. So how'd you come up with the name Frisky Girl Farm? <laughs> I think it was a joke. <laughs> yeah. It was during our year at the urban farm with our other farm partner, and they were joking one time about how Ashley and I would try to outwork each other. And uh, they were like, oh, someday you guys are going to have this farm. Or you're going to work like 16 hours a day, and it's going to be called Frisky Girl Farm. Oh. <laughs> they were and, not wrong. <laughs> When, yeah, when it came time to decide what our new farm was going to be called, we didn't have any ideas. Yeah, (laughs) we had already been joking about it for years, so it just seemed to fit. And it's very memorable. People ask Mm -hmm. us about it all the time. That no logo. (laughs) Yeah. So share with us uh, your marketing. So what's, what, where do you sell your products? Uh, About half the produce we do a CSA, so we stole the model from our urban farm. We have a free choice model, so basically the buy-in at the beginning of the year lasts for 25 weeks of the season. Uh, We send out a fresh sheet to the CSA members every week, and then they go online and place their order, or they don't, and so they can spend it each way, you know, whatever way they want, Uh which is nice because then you can have more members versus, like, you know, on the urban farm, we were only a half acre and we had a 50 member CSA and coming up with 50 matching boxes every single week was not going to be a realistic option. So the uh-huh. whole pick and choose thing is is pretty nice model. And then we just kind of scaled it up. Uh, other than that, we have the farmer's market, uh, which we attend once a week from June through September here in North Bend. And then the bulk of the rest of our sales are actually from our roadside farm stand. And then we have a couple of restaurants that we sell to in Seattle and surrounding area. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit more about uh, with a free choice then. So what program do they use to place their order? Is it a Google form? Is it an email? Uh, it is a custom built website. My roommate okay. programmer and he took the bones of the old system and made it better um that's the way i can describe it is it's basically like using a google uh excel or what is that google Google sheets Sheets. yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they the customers don't see that side of the it but for our interface it's all run through google sheets and then it just sits on the back end of our website so members go and log in there's a picture and a little box and they can choose the quantity of what's available and then put it in their shopping cart. And then each morning before harvest, we just close the orders and it generates a little printout for everyone's individual order, as well as a pick list for how many of each crop we need to pick. 
And then, we've found that uh, the free choice CSA model has worked really, really well for us, really well for our customers. So um, as Ashley was saying, we don't have to, ha even though we have a 200 member CSA, we don't have to have uh -huh. 200 of the same boxes every week. Um, and the beauty of, you know, natural human variation, people order different things. And so um, even though, so we harvest twice a week for the CSA, 100 each time. And even though we have 100 people who have the option to order, we almost never have more than like 50 of any individual item ordered. Uh -huh. um, and then uh, it also, we try to be as adaptable as possible for our CSA members. So um, they can order as much or as little as they want each week, or they can order nothing at all. And then uh, we also have a fridge at each of our pickup locations. So they don't have like a tiny two hour harvest win or window where they have to go pick up their share. They can, they have all week, anytime they want to go pick it up, they can go. Um, uh -huh. And we found that that has been really key for us. Um, for uh, maintaining our, our CSA retention and, and for getting new members is um, because it's so customizable. And also with the free choice, we're able to offer a lower buy-in because not everyone wants, you know, seven, eight items. $900 worth of vegetables. Yeah, and that's yes. not affordable for everyone. So um, we have a sliding scale between four and 600 and that's where our members buy in. And then they spend that like a debit account. And then if they run out of money mid-season, they can always re-up. Uh, but for people who might not want, yeah, $1,200 worth of vegetables for the season. It's a really good choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then what are you packing in? Are you packing in boxes, bags, totes? Bags. We have a ton of reusable bags uh, that we've collected over the years. And so Ellen and I split laundry duty once a week, <laughs> wash the bags. And then, yeah, so it's like a little slip of paper with the name, where the order's going and what is in it. And mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. just lay out all the food in our pack area and everyone goes through and fills an individual order and then it gets a clothespin with their name and it goes in the cooler. Okay, so you're just saying when you say reusable bags, like just the, the totes you'd get, maybe yep. Acres USA on it or something like that. Yeah, we, we have a, a wide variety of different uh, bags and Ashley actually one winter as a project uh, <laughs> sewed a bunch of old t-shirts into bags oh, so fun. there are some hilarious like old in-sync concert bags and that's a good uh, bag yeah it's like my memories every week we get to go that is really cool I'm, I'm sure the members really like they post about that you know or talk about that you know hey I got that bag this week or something yeah. like that mm -hmm. yeah yeah um, I'm looking at your Facebook page here and you do a great job sharing that uh, what do you call a vegetable heist <laughs> oh, I forgot. <laughs> Farmed robbery. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You also had one about lettuce up here a little further. I think it was maybe this week's. Um, a kayaker's favorite type of lettuce. Oh, yeah. Romaine. <laughs> okay. That's good. Oh, uh, yeah. If you go back, we've got a million of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we may have to start stealing some of these for our yeah. farm. Um, they're yeah. great. We post the joke in the farm stand every week and our customers really like it. <laughs> yes. I mean, you seem to engage really well on there. Like some people are calling you your our ladies of the lettuce, which oh, yeah. I thought was, was clever. Um, <clears throat> so let's see what type of people shop with you. I, uh, I would yeah. say our primary demographic is older white women. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
That's, uh, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of young families in our CSA as well. And then the roadside farm stand is really whoever is around. Yeah, we live on a fairly down. busy road. And so. And we're um, the only vegetable farm in North Bend. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we, we really, we live in a really rich agricultural area. Like there are many small farms within a 30 minute drive of us, but we mm-hmm. are the only vegetable farm in the city of North Bend, which is about 8,000 people. And then there's a neighboring town of Snoqualmie, which is like 10,000. And uh, both of those areas uh, attract a lot of members. We're kind of right in between the two. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Yeah, because that that kind of demographic there. So we're in a town of like 5,500 and we're one of two stands. Although, I mean, they're a fruit stand. We're actually a farm stand because we're actually farmers. They grow sweet corn and, and tomatoes only. So, I mean, they're still farmers, but it's more of a fruit stand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about your climate, your North Bend. Talk through the weather. I mean, you mentioned before we actually started recording the, the heat dome last year and how you're actually, you know, cooking as we speak right now. But kind of share typically what the weather looks like and, and kind of like the farming season. It's getting wacky, but traditionally we are in a temperate rainforest type of climate. So it rains basically from October through July 4th this year. Uh, It was particularly wet and cold. That made it very challenging. But yeah, it's, uh, it's not very hot here in the summer so when it goes up above 80 90 degrees you get some whiners <laughs> yeah um but yeah you know really long days in the summer uh i think the sun sets what at like 10 in june yeah. and then it's up by you know four so mm-hmm. really really long lots of potential for work <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's been pretty crazy uh the difference between this year and last year where yeah we were you know it was it started being in the 80s in april last year and then it was basically 80 or above every single day until the end of september um and And it uh, did not rain and it didn't rain at all and this year has been the exact opposite um it I mean, we're going into a heat wave this coming week, but beyond that, it you has know, been the coldest it was spring 70 degrees ever. of raining last weekend, so. Yeah, and so I know you talked to farmer Ryan from Steel Wheel Farm, and uh-huh. uh, he, a lot of farmers down in the valley were, yeah, dealing with the threat of flooding in June. Like, it just did not stop raining until about two weeks ago here, at, and it's been a cold, cold spring Um like we were saying, none of our preppers are growing this year because it's mm-hmm. snowed in April. Yeah, it's wow, just been horrible. Um, so a lot of farmers are behind. Um, but we, uh, so one of the reasons that we are the only farm in North Bend is because though the farmers, so we live near a, a huge waterfall and a, a large watershed, the Snoqualmie River and the Snoqualmie Falls. Mm-hmm. And uh, down in the valley below the falls, all of the farmers there are at risk of flooding and basically go underwater a few times each winter. Um, we're here above the falls, so we don't have a risk of flooding. Uh, but we are in a convergence zone where the the weather coming off of the Snoqualmie Pass converges with like the rattlesnake uh, ridge. Well, and the the climate's coming from the Puget Sound. um, And 
it just all runs up against. So we we live at the base of this really beautiful mountain called Mount Sai, um, and everything kind of converges, runs into the mountain, and then just drops on us. So we get these really dramatic windstorms, rainstorms, hailstorms, hail like a lot of more inclement weather than farmers down below the falls are dealing with. Um, and obviously, you know, it's just different things. But uh, also of note, people complain about it raining in Seattle. They get like 38 inches of rain a year. Here in North Bend, we get about 68 inches of rain a year on average. So it's almost twice as much. Okay, so how do you deal with it? Lots of tunnels, do you just know it's gonna rain? Yeah. <laughs> we cry a lot now. <laughs> um, so we we do yeah. have lots of tunnels, uh, although we want more. We're still, it's only our fourth season, so we're mm -hmm. still building up our infrastructure. Um, and we've found that uh, we basically can't have the farmer's friend tunnels here. Um, we've they lost, just break. Yeah, we've lost two of them in windstorms in, in our time here. So uh we do still have we're using them as our prop house but uh, really over engineered we've, we've seriously reinforced them um and then we have uh two other high tunnels that are 30 by 96 and they're that, sunk four feet in the earth with steel pipes so they yeah, don't blow away and yeah. uh, those are like more um strong high tunnels that yeah. uh we one we got an nrcs grant for and then the other we just knew we needed more greenhouse space yeah. and decided to build yeah well, luckily so, we don't have to deal with like snow load here so okay so there is no snow in the winter time yeah you know it typically snows like once for real maybe but it doesn't last you know it'll stay uh -huh. for a week at, at most and it's typically like six inches to a foot so that's yeah not a big concern so then um, i'm interested in these beefing up of these tunnels what kinds of things have you done to make them survive so we can't pour concrete because we are in the flood way so what we've done is we added more purlins and then we anchored the end walls in the earth a similar way as the big ones so all of our structures are now we drive pipes three feet down and then that seems to you know securing the end walls has really added some rigidity to them and then they all have wind bracing so basically the side wood paneling that goes across to hold the wiggle wire track on the inside there's a two by four angled down to support the windy side from just collapsing mm -hmm. and then that is yeah well, sunk into the earth even that is of note like that we have wooden baseboards and a wooden board across yeah. like four feet up uh Mm -hmm. you know, farmer's friend don't come standard with and then we also yeah we have two additional side purlins and um additional cross bracing in the gothic peak yeah. uh, on every single purlin or every single bow yeah okay yeah Just more metal <laughs> yeah yeah we actually manufacture our own and we actually have a course on it in our small farm university but um it sounds like you're even going one step beyond what we typically go um, yeah we do a purlin crossbar every other bow, typically five foot bow spacing when every other, so every 10 feet. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually custom manufacture these corner plates. 
which allow us to angle rebar into the ground and spike it in. And so basically that holds that plate down. And then that's what you tie your corner ropes to. And that's on the windward corner of our blocks. So we have a big block of tunnels. We have four tunnels in one block and then four other tunnels behind it, another block. And we supposedly hit 70 miles an hour this year and we haven't really had any problems. We had one tunnel in the back, but we spaced it 10 foot spacing on the bows. A few little problems with that, but it didn't fall over anything. It just kind of, you know, worried it a little bit. Um, but what's the yeah. diameter of the pipe you're using? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're using top rail, which is one and three eighths. Okay. The first time we bought 14 gauge, and that was back when steel was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this last time we got 17 gauge because it was half the cost of the 14 gauge. And we really, I wouldn't say there's a massive difference in strength. Again, we don't have the amount of snow that obviously if you in the Northeast would have. I mean, we don't have the four feet. We have, like you said, six to 12 inches max during the winter time. So, um, so yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. The weather keeps getting more extreme, so you never know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then we yeah. deal... It, I mean, it varies from year to year, but we've had years where there's been really bad wildfire smoke that we have to deal mm. with. Um, and, you know, we had a hailstorm May 31st of 2020 that just devastated, like all of our, all of our tomatoes basically died. Gosh. Uh, and yeah, just, we had just planted out our zucchini, like holes in holes everything. In everything. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that, that extreme, um, and then we get really bad wind storms, like starting in September and October, 70 to 80 miles an hour. Yeah. So we are now on the, uh, fourth iteration of our wash pack station. Uh, so we okay. got, we, we got shipping, shipping containers. containers. <laughs> I think we're yes. going to win. I think the yeah. wind will not blow those away. Yes. We really hope. Because now go back to, you said you're on a floodway. So that means you can't put concrete. So you technically couldn't concrete in four by fours or pour a pad for a wash pack, a real nope. wash pack. Wow. Yeah, we're not allowed to have any permanent structures on our farm and not anything besides greenhouses is not allowed to be more than 200 square feet. So, wow. And this is, yeah. it's just a, a silly zoning issue because uh, we're in the path where the river used to run. Um, and yeah. even, even though it does, we don't flood here, it's just because of zoning. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the same silly flood zone that we're in. Yeah. Um, yeah, we actually had to pay money to get our house out of the flood zone and we did successfully, but it saves us $1,600 a year in flood insurance. Mm -hmm. So it was worth that. Yeah. I've kind of freaked out about a month ago when I got a letter from my insurance said, Hey, due to the recent changes, your house is in a flood zone. I was like, Oh no, oh no. Did they like reclassify? No, it was just someone messing up on the paperwork. Yeah. But for those few days, I was quite perturbed. <laughs> so, but I mean, it is interesting that that kind of stuff happens. And um, so do you have like two shipping containers next to each other or what's your configuration? Yes. They're yeah. eight by 20 mm -hmm. and they are two feet apart. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we also have a third structure that we built that is where our walk-in cooler lives. Yeah. Okay. So those three structures kind of all in a line comprise our wash pack area. Yeah. And that is very necessary infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. Um, share a little bit about like the first couple of years of getting started on your land. And how did you find your property to start with? 
Well, we got really lucky. Uh, so we knew the urban farm was coming to an end. The house where our greenhouse was uh, sold and changed owners. And so we knew it was going to be the last year. They let us finish out the season, but then onward. So we met someone at a networking event for people in food systems, women, in women food in food systems. systems. And it turned out to be like a bunch of food bloggers. However, this one woman who was starting a zero waste grocery store, she overheard us chatting with someone that we are looking for new land and mm -hmm. her dad had 20 acres that he wanted to have farmed but didn't know how to farm. And so we came out here and saw the view met with him and it was like, all right, let's we're in. Mm -hmm. and then we learned about the terrible weather in North <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, so Oops. many challenges. We yeah. start when we started, this was a field of grass. And the first mm. thing we did was build a, an electric fence to keep the elk out yeah. because oh. they're a herd of 40 elk that you formerly 40 ish formerly yeah. uh would run through the property every night yeah. and like this was a field of grass where they would stand and graze mm -hmm. um so we built the fence and then we built the prop house uh and in the middle of that i broke my collarbone uh oh, and gosh. so i actually had to do all of the heavy lifting for first the first year, year. Um, yeah, and, and we didn't have a tractor, so yeah. we did everything. We did five acres with the BCS rototiller. Mm -hmm. I was so strong in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a Super C cultivating tractor, and at the end of the summer, my forearms are just ginormous. That's mm -hmm. great. That's yeah. great. Because oh, that's there's awesome. no power steering, and you're just fighting that thing the whole time. Nice. Yeah. So little did we know how terrible the wind would be, how much of a problem the elk would be, how it, strong the weeds yeah. would be. There, I didn't even been... know how to drive a lawnmower. Like we didn't know anything. We learned like, so much. Like how we've we been doing this for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, what does your equipment look like now? Uh, so we still have the BCS. We've got a little uh, Kubota tractor, which is great because we are both small people. And often when folks scale up from an urban farm to a, a big farm, they change their bed sizes. Uh -huh. We didn't do that. So we still do two foot bed, two foot path. Mm -hmm. And it's great because the tractor is exactly that size. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I mean, the tractor has a rototiller, we've got a bed shaper and then a field mower. But for the most part, we do a lot by hand, like almost all the weeding is done by hand. Mm -hmm. uh, what else yeah bed prep like we don't have a manure spreader uh we borrowed our friend ryan's lime spreader this season but before it's just like take a 50 pound bag walk 100 feet go yeah <laughs> like 400 some beds so that gets old real quick <laughs> yes it does yes yeah. it does uh, but the view is just absolutely fabulous that oh yeah great. We we are yeah. very spoiled. When yeah. it's nice here, it's like really nice. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Man, yep. that is gorgeous. Um, yeah, and I do highly recommend folks head over to Frisky Girl Farm on Facebook and just check out the pictures of how everything's laid out and the wash pack shed and all that good stuff. So, um, all right. So then, with uh, with your cropping, are you just doing a standard mix across of most uh, vegetable crops and flowers, or? 
Yeah, pretty much. Okay. We, any weird, we don't really grow much weird stuff anymore. It's... Yeah, North Bend as a small town. I mean, you know, we are in the Pacific Northwest, so there definitely uh-huh. are a lot of foodies. But overall, we've found that uh, the people here tend to be more like normal, the, normal they, eating patterns. They, they don't necessarily want all the weird stuff. They would just want us to grow their lettuce and tomatoes and yeah. squash and their cucumbers. Yeah, they, <laughs> that's been the funny one is our customers love romaine lettuce. It's... And I, I'm not sure why, but that's what everyone has decided. That's um, okay. Potentially, I mean, we did we decide. <laughs> yeah, we did decide to grow more of it after a couple of years ago. There were like multiple outbreaks uh-huh. of uh, E. coli and salmonella in romaine specifically, and we were like, "Well, yeah. let's grow a little more of that because yep. it's not safe at the grocery store." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you're doing a salad fest. Tell me about that. What does that mean? Our annual event is back, <laughs> COVID be damned. So uh, it's really a party at the farm. Uh, we okay. Tours, and then there'll be like yard games and stuff, but the main event, mm-hmm. so we do a lettuce shotgun and that means you eat a head of lettuce as fast as you can and the winner gets a free CSA share next year. Yeah. So, so interesting. It's lettuce shotgun a la shotgunning a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Do I get to pick my type of dressing or is it just, you know, no, no dressing. No, do it just raw. full head of lettuce. You can, I will present a bin and you do, you get to pick which lettuce out of the bin, but you don't get a lot of time to choose. Nope. It's just, <laughs> go, go. Uh, yeah. You'd be shocked how hard it is. I can <laughs> like, and then how many people sign up? Oh, we're, we'll have yeah. people signing up at like the day of at the event i feel like in the um, last one we did it was like 30 to 50 people did it oh fun yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah it's a big thing we all just like yeah. stand in a giant circle and there's like a timekeeper and a referee and yep. then uh yeah you don't have to eat the butt yeah but okay else mm-hmm. gotta get it in see there. i lost an ice cream eating contest because i was being too i was cleaning my my th- my my cup too clean Ah, yep. Yeah. See, there you go. See, I was, you know, again, I was raised seven kids. You licked that last bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then we're really excited this year. We're gonna have a petting zoo. We're gonna have mm-hmm. uh, some puppies from a local animal shelter or sanctuary. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll have food. There'll be live music. It's gonna be a big party and a really good time. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Who did the design for your salad gets you ripped? Kind of like, is that your logo or is that just a Yeah. So that's actually a real picture of us. And I had one of my graphic designer friends turn it into a cartoon. Very Uh, cool. The salad gets you ripped. I think that was a similar joke. joke. Just like, oh, you guys are so ripped. It's like, yeah, salad. salad. Yeah. Or lifting Wait, yeah. 50 pound bags of lime by hand 400 times. Yeah. <laughs> well, the part we don't tell people is that it's actually growing salad that gets you ripped. But yes. You know, they let, hashtag. Uh-huh. You let them believe it's the eating of it and help yeah, sell more exactly. salad. So yeah. we've really taken the approach of rooting a lot of our marketing and humor and people. Uh-huh. Well, it comes out very clearly on your Facebook page and that's, and it fits your personality too. So yeah, it's awesome. I even see you've got like a, a a harvest day flex going on in front of the fully stocked farm stand. You know, the kind of that reflection. I mean, that that. Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, what? So you live in a little more cooler summer. What varieties tend to do well in that in the coolness for? Let's say, I mean, obviously peppers, cucumbers are some of the more challenging uh, 
crops to grow in the cold. Sun golds do great here. Yeah. Cherry tomatoes. tomatoes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we grow shishitos and poblanos are the Mm -hmm. ones that are typically our most reliable peppers. Although this year the shishitos all died. They got eaten by slugs. Yeah, the poblanos look great though. I think we will have those. Mm -hmm. Went out on a limb and tried to grow habaneros. That's not happening. No. (laughs) No. Uh, Yeah, and then we do our cucumbers in the spring in high tunnels. Uh, Uh we, We just started this year growing paraiso. Um, and those seem great. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we definitely, we grow a lot of salad. We grow a lot of arugula, spicy salad mix, baby lettuce uh-huh. mix, uh, and then a lot of head lettuce. So those are things that do great here. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and then are you using the Salanova varieties or? Yeah, it's from, it's slightly different. It's called Easy Leaf. It's uh-huh. from High Mowing, but Osborne. Osborne, same, yes. same. Yeah. Yep, yep. We we have done those in the past. One thing I've been just absolutely loving is the green and red. Um, I think they're the green and red crisp head uh, Salanovas. Oh. Oh, like, but I think, yeah. I mean, uh, I think this is last year's catalogs. I don't think it's going to have it here, but um Maybe they did have no, they did have it last year. They had to have it last year because we got it last year and then they ran out midsummer and we got so disappointed. Oh. Um yeah, the red and green Batavian, um, oh, which okay. are which is like a crisp head type, but um heavy, tasty. Um and we used to grow like the oak leaves, mm-hmm. and I just didn't like them. So now we're just doing we do red and green Batavian, green sweet crisp, um, red sweet crisp, and They've got some new ones which they're going with, which is the, I don't know, some new one I think they've got uh, this year. I don't have an, actually a this year catalog. I gave it away. Um, uh, been growing a lot more varieties from Osborne Seed Company, which is local here in Mount Vernon. Yeah. And they're awesome. Like we we started, you know, trying to buy more from them because they are local and mm-hmm. uh, often, so we, our main seed companies are Johnny's High Mowing and Osborne. Um, yeah. And, a few others here and there, but uh, we, you know, wanted to buy from Osborne and years ago it was harder. And now they, I think have really gotten a lot more competitive as far as varieties they have available uh-huh. and points. Um, and so. Plus being so close when you run out of something, it's here like in a day or two, which is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was from moving from New York to Ohio. It added a whole day to shipping. And that was so, <laughs> it just, it really don't think about it, but when, when you expect that seed the day after you order or two days after you order um, now it's, you know, yeah. So it can be just a little bit longer, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, having that local must, must be very nice. And then have you ever gotten down there or up there to check out their variety trials? Cause I know they do substantial variety trials. No, but it's on the list. Yeah. Yeah, I've, they, they're one of those. So it's interesting, like Johnny's won't show you the trials behind the scenes unless you're on site. Um, and I, I've been on site and we'll walk you through and you can look at the different varieties. But Heim, uh, but Osborne for a while there was running a seed blog where they would show you like, here's the eight radishes we tried in this thing. Here's them lined up. Here's why we like the different ones. And that right there was just fabulous information. Yeah, um, that's really great. Unfortunately, it was for the specific Northwest, so which doesn't quite relate to what we're doing, but yeah, um, yeah. it was still very interesting yeah for sure no, they're awesome and um one thing that we've been really excited about we switched our spicy salad mix to their mild and wild brassica mix and uh-huh. it's 
It's mm. amazing. We were using a mix from Johnny's called the Elegant Screens mix, and mm -hmm. that was fine, but it only, I think, had four or five different varieties in it, whereas this it's has like eight or, or ten. It's great. Um, and it's just got such a diversity of flavor. All of the things grow at a consistent height and a consistent mm. weight, um, and it's like beautiful. We've been so excited. Nice. leaves in there that are like pretty zesty. <laughs> yeah. Got a kick to it. It's definitely good. a spicy <laughs> salad mix. Yeah. Um, so with your, do you guys do any microgreens or is it more just the bigger vegetable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we just do um, like a standard mild mustard mix that's mm -hmm. red and green and it's fine. <laughs> we don't sell a yeah. lot of microgreens. Yeah. Again, going back to what people want in your area. We mm -hmm. tried what pea shoots and sunflowers in the past and neither of those really sold very well. So yeah, back to the standards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nelson carrot, Satakoi melon, Buffalo tomatoes, Megatron leek. What do all these varieties have in common? Well, they're all dinosaurs or varieties that were dropped by the trade for one reason or another. So what do smart growers do? Well, if they can, they buy a bunch of seed before it goes out of stock and freeze it while they scramble to find new varieties that are going to work better. But the problem is that eventually seed vitality goes down and the seed is no longer good. Is there anything you can do to revive the seeds? Well, introducing Ultra, an organic seed treatment, or as I like to say, a seed defibrillator. To back up a bit, we were able to get 20 kernels of what we now call Gill's Select, a rare Indian corn variety from Gill's Sweet Corn Farm in the Hudson Valley. We grew it out, distributed it to a number of farmers, and then life happened. About a decade later, I found the seed at the bottom of our freezer, and we took most of the seeds and tried to germinate them in a greenhouse. Only a few came up. Not enough to have good genetic diversity. Last year, with only a few handfuls left and a Hail Mary attempt, I soaked them with Ultra for 24 hours, then struck them into some trays and popped them into our germ chamber. 72 hours later, we started seeing shoots, and this year, even with an eight-week drought, we had a wonderful yield of corn. We sold some and kept back most of it for future seed stock. I'm confident that we wouldn't have been able to continue this lost variety without Ultra. Here's the best news yet. AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all thriving farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Go to smallfarm.solutions for more information. Talk a little bit about your flower side of the farm because um, that's something we're playing around with a little bit. I'd love to hear kind of how you make it work. Yeah, so trial and error, man, it is flowers like hot weather and we don't have a lot of that so um we also don't have a heated greenhouse so or the prop house so getting them started in an appropriate manner is often challenging so we've consolidated we used to space them out uh our farm is broken up into 1200 foot by 100 foot blocks and the first couple years we planted one bed of each of those blocks in flowers and mm. i don't know why it didn't dawn on me until last year but that just makes harvesting them a real pain in the butt mm -hmm. so we're we consolidated them this year uh ones that do great zinnias and sunflowers uh those are real easy to grow and they're real beautiful so mm -hmm. short and sweet um the other ones that i really like are straw flower uh mm -hmm. that one a little more challenging because it does need warmer weather but it produces kind of like a papery type of flower and it does really well dried 
Um, mm -hmm. So I've been trying to play around with stuff you can dry, which is also challenging because condensation is a problem here. So getting anything truly dry is hard, but um, it gets cold here in October and we don't have a tunnel dedicated to flowers or anything like that. So okay. trying to get more into the dried flower game as far as season extension goes, because there's really no way to bring it forward earlier in the year. Um, <laughs> trying to peer pressure Ellen into letting me do tulips next year since we have more tunnel space, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and, and why do you have to peer pressure into her into it? Well, Ashley is really the flower witch. So yeah. uh, she's always going off and doing mischief and trying yeah. things with the flowers. And that's, I, that's kind of her area of the farm where I just give her autonomy and because yeah. uh, I've, I've, I mean, I think the flowers are beautiful and I am, you know, it's that's great but uh that's definitely not my area of expertise and i i let ashley just take charge over that one but uh one of the things that has also been challenging with the flowers is that um a lot of flower growers really rely on perennial crops and mm -hmm. we have well, in <laughs> two problems with that we have really insane weed pressure like we just because this was a field it was a pasture before we got here and we've only been here for four years so though we've tried to uh stay on top of it like the the perennial grasses have been really really bad and then we mm. also have uh some dock that uh, has a very deep tap root and is really aggressive and hard to weed out so um that's not in landscape fabric it's not gonna live here <laughs> yeah that combined with uh the elk that so we live here in the summer but in the winter uh we both live in other places and uh when we're not here though we have an electric fence it's more of a visual barrier like as soon mm -hmm. as one of them gets in and knocks it down then the whole herd comes in and we basically can't overwinter anything because they just decimate it Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They kind of move in and it's theirs then. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Share a little bit. You mentioned there a little bit how um, Ashley's the flower person. How do you divide roles in the farm? Do you have clearly defined roles? Do you kind of just get at it together? Oh, yes. Uh, we've basically divided the tasks into front of house, back of house. So mm -hmm. Ellen is in charge of front of house. So she does all the email, the communications, sales, all that kind of stuff. And then I do the taxes and the bookkeeping and the accounting side of things. Yeah. And then it very works true. out really well. Um, Ashley and I just have like very complimentary interests. And so yeah, I don't Ashley, do sales. <laughs> Ashley loves driving the tractor uh, and I like leading the crew. And so she'll be off, you know, doing bed prep and tilling. And then I will be with the crew doing the planting or the weeding or whatever. Um, and then we also split like um, I am more of like the harvest manager. So I'm, you know, have a an eye on everything that's going to be ready and then ashley does yeah like the the field work and like is makes the plan for what we're going to plant each week and where things are going and so mm -hmm. yeah cool. it's it works out really well we've figured out how to split up the tasks and it is so nice having a farm partner yeah because you can take a day off <laughs> And you don't have to explain your job to someone else because they have the same job so. yes yes so but i'm assuming as you were getting started with the farm there was probably some hiccups of trying to figure out who did what 
yeah just yeah. finding the balance like i'd say naturally we were both inclined like i am terrible at writing so ellen you do the csa emails i'm not mm -hmm. doing that and ellen does not like spreadsheets very much so i do the record keeping and the books and uh -huh. like that yeah and we were sure when we first started the farm we were sure that we were gonna like go at each other because we're both only children so mm. we were like oh we both need to get our way this is gonna yeah, both, <laughs> it's right 100 percent of the time yeah so the staff will joke sometimes because we will one of us will tell them one thing and one of us will tell them something different and we both are so sure that we are right <laughs> and so sometimes they end up a little confused <laughs> but we tried writing it down once as far as like defining tasks clearly, but I don't know where that paper went, so. Yes, yeah, sometimes that can be challenging. Make sure that all, we're in the process of doing the SOP manual for our entire farm and I'm telling you it's tough. Yes. Uh, because yes. it's variable too. Like at the beginning of the season, we have to pick tomatoes into our mushroom totes because they're so low to the ground, mm -hmm. but about, week six of tomato season now you're picking the belly buckets because they're now at three feet mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where like the sop gets longer but then you also have to make sure like okay guys now what's the most efficient way to do this and you know watching crew learn how to be efficient because people aren't naturally efficient they like naturally carry one box at a time all the way across the farm by themselves instead of loading four onto a cart and moving them all at once I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, it's been so um, as you mentioned at the top, we are, have scaled up this year from five to eight acres and we're doing three mm -hmm. acres of you pick at a second mm -hmm. farm site. Um, and so our staff has naturally increased significantly. Um, and so before making sure that like everybody knew all the things like there were only five of us and then that was okay but now that there are like seven eight sometimes mm -hmm. we have volunteers and work trade csa members like just making sure that everyone knows how to do all the things in the most efficient way has been really challenging this season mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely um yeah we use uh we use iphones take videos, they get loaded into Google photos, and then we grab the link and that gets inserted into the SOP too. So that also gives us now a video version of it that we can, we can have them, Hey, go watch that, which sometimes helps sometimes. <laughs> so. I find one thing that has been very helpful this year is when during harvest, telling them the next time that we're going to be picking the thing like beans or peas, for example, it's like, what is an appropriate size to pick? Well, we will come back here on Tuesday and it will be very nice weather the whole time. So like you can pick them a little smaller cause mm. they're grow. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's challenging because you know, so, pesticide, right? It's like, how much is too much damage? Oh, it's so subjective. <laughs> absolutely. And depending on how, where you are in the crop, like the beginning, right. You're yeah. going after every squash, but as the season progresses, yeah, half of them can be tossed. Uh huh. Yeah. And depending, like, okay, we have you know this many orders that we need to fill, so like your standards go down a little. But then, what? Yeah, once it's abundant, then you have like very high standards. And exactly, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, do you guys do summer squash? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And how often do you pick it? Every 36 hours, approximately. Yeah, four four times a week. 
Yep. Okay. Uh, we're we harvest, yeah. 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 We harvest Tuesday, Thursday, Friday uh, for CSA market uh, farm stand stuff. And then Ellen and I split squash duty. So one of us has to pick cucumbers and zucchini every other weekend. Aha. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then talk to me about the little, the you pick sunflower and pumpkins. How is that going to work? Are people, that's at a different location you said? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a, a We're not hundred percent sure yet, but uh, basically we've created, so all the sunflowers are in the front and all the squash are in the back. So the sunflowers are in a maze. So the path through them is a half acre. And I think the plan is the, there's going to be a booth at the front and simultaneously the end. It's the same. Yeah, this, you start and finish at yeah. the same place. And so someone will be manning the booth and handing out pruners and people can go through and take pictures, cut sunflowers and fill up their cup. And then they'll pay by the stem, I think, at the end. After yeah. Another way to do it is whether they can fit in a jar. So we have pint jars and quart jars. Okay. That's another way to think about it. Cause then it's, it's, it's easy. So you hand them a quart jar and you charge them and then they never have to see you. Well, they have to return the clippers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that anyway. was a thought of how to do it, but it's like, oh shit, how many are going to fit in a jar? <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And how much do we charge per jar? Yeah. What do you charge for your jars? Mm -hmm. So we do a quart jar is 15 and a pint is eight. Okay. Um, and maybe it should be a pint is 10 and a quart is 15. Now we're not doing just sunflowers though. We have several different you pick flowers. Um, it's not a lot. Again, you pick flowers are maybe like 2% of our business. Yeah. Um, I like flowers. So I like growing a few and it just makes me happy. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah. We are going to actually have a you pick flower field this year because we did a, a cover crop of sunflowers and I didn't expect it to mature in time before we had to turn it under for the next crop of strawberries, but I'm looking out there and they're starting to open. So cool. Yay. That's exciting. Yeah. It's going to be fun. It's mixed in with sun hemp though, which is getting taller than it was. So, <laughs> so you got to open the you pick soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> the sun hemp will literally get eight feet tall. If we're not careful. Yeah. yeah. So you also have had your kind of share of like experiences. I mean, you had a van catch fire. Yeah. 2020 started real rough with COVID. And then the first day of CSA delivery, our van ignited in one of the members driveway. I don't know how it didn't catch their fence on fire, but yeah. Oh, so <laughs> I had to send, I had to send the email that day to say, all right, Mount Baker members, your food is in the fridge. Uh, Central district members, your food was in our van as it burned. Please let us know if you need a refund on anything because it's charred. It smells like uh, And then Leshai members, you, your food is also in the fridge, but please, you'll have to walk around our burned out van to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. yeah so, uh, so we, uh, you know, as you had, pointed out we like to share a lot of our lives online so we posted this that our van had caught fire 
and mm -hmm. uh, within 24 hours we had three different offers of people who wanted to just give us free vans wow uh, only one of them was wor actually working so we chose <laughs> old faithful <laughs> yeah the chevy express man 310,000 miles and it's still going runs strong. like a champion <laughs> so is three years is now <laughs> Is that like a 15 passenger, 12 passenger? What size? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's a 21 feet. Foot, yeah, cargo van. Oh, big cargo van. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's big. It's yep. great. Um, so then your 200 shares fit in that every week, or how many shares pick up on the farm? About uh, half, yeah. 100 members pick up on the farm. And then, like we said, nice. we split into two different days. So it's 50 members mm -hmm. each day, Tuesdays and Fridays. Yeah. So my wife is texting me because as we speak, not only is CSA pickup going on, but like people are picking up their peaches. So it's literally, she's like, it's a zoo out there. Because mm -hmm. we only have so many, we have about 71 shares that we'll pick up over between today and tomorrow. So, so you got to yeah. go. Well, I, I, we'll, we'll manage, we'll manage. Um, favorite tool. What is your favorite tool on the farm? Oh gosh. You know, I always say the tractor. I love the tractor, but it's probably because of that haunting 2019 season doing everything with the BCS. Mm -hmm. And that was very hard. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I, hmm. Uh, yeah. It's a tough one. I think the, we have, um, a flame weeder, the, well, the um, farmer's friend yeah the farmer's friend five burner flame weeder yeah that's pretty fun to use i that's really like that great. yeah yeah so and do you, do you have a specific uh rhythm for that like how many days ahead of when you yeah so we um for our cut greens and carrots specifically we will prep the beds and then tarp them for three weeks and then we'll come back through with the flame weeder um after like we'll take the tarps off flame weed them and then uh with the care with the carrots we also go through and flame them again five days after seeding but not six <laughs> sometimes <laughs> sometimes six is too much yeah. yes yes gotcha um three weeks for a bear yeah for a covered file that's nice and we still yeah, end we up have to with weed weeds. the cut greens nine out of ten beds yeah i would say yes. It's yeah. so it kills most things, but not curly dock or grass. Mm -hmm. So we made the mistake the first year of putting down millet as a cover crop. Mm. I, I have mentioned so many times, but I will mention again, never plant millet. Um, I, had <laughs> I had the crew out there, literally, they spent two hours weeding two beds of lettuce. And only thing they were really weeding out was millet. Um, and it's, yep. it's nasty. We have some of that problem. We let some buckwheat cover crop go to seed one year, and that is a oops. Yeah, it's we've got it pretty under control now, but it was an aggressive weed for a while. Yeah, it, and it's so fast, so it'll outcompete almost anything. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, which can be really, really frustrating. What would you say to a new farmer, someone who's just thinking about getting into farming? Start small. Yeah, turns out five acres is like a lot. It, yeah it's still a micro farm in comparison but it's it's a lot of work <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah ashley and i i think really bit off more than we could chew year one mm. um and so our first year of frisky girl farm 
I mean, it really wasn't our first year of farming because we were able to actually take a lot of customers with us from the urban mm-hmm. farm. So, and, and we already had, yeah, the tools, we already had a lot of trays. We already had the BCS. We already had the cedar. We already had harvest bins. Like there were just a lot of things that we were, that made mm-hmm. it feel not fully like we were starting from scratch. Um, and so the first season, though we had leased five acres, we had only planned to grow on three. Mm. Um, but, uh, basically, and we had fenced in three acres, but then midway through the season, our landlord hired someone to extend the fence to do the the whole five acres. And we decided to just jump in with both feet and said, okay, we'll just grow on that too. And so we, yeah, we just went for it and did the full five acres our first season. And that was a lot. We lost a lot of beds to weeds grass that year, which Mm -hmm. is fine. I mean, learning, right? Because we never have the lettuce before why would we have to weed the lettuce here it'll be fine Mm -hmm. no that's not how it works (laughs) you guys both don't have enough white hair to make it look like you farmed five acres (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, also uh sell food to your friends because they are forgiving if you screw it up (laughs) That's I think very that good advice. Yeah. One, I think at least 50% of the CSA members were either friends or, like I said, people we had brought, customers we had brought with us from the urban farm already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is actually, it's really yeah. nice. Even though we have a 200 member CSA, we'll be going through lots of names. And like some days, you know, if we're short something, it's like, oh, this person's a friend. Oh, yeah. Like we can short them and they'll be Brian okay. Brian doesn't it. need pickling cucumbers. He can have regular cucumbers. Yeah, he won't care. Exactly. Or, so. but it's also fun too, because we have those customers who've been with us for a long time. And it's like, Ben Ewing really wants turnips. And we have that one extra bunch. We're just going to throw or it in his bag. In. He'll love that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I have to say that's kind of how it works around here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got those that we know. Oh yeah. They're friends. Yep. We can, we can take liberties with their share a little bit. Yeah. As so it's, yeah. it's really nice. And yeah, we have just had an incredibly supportive community of, of CSA members and friends, and there's always uh-huh. people around to help out. Um, and, and CSA members who have become friends and become employees and uh-huh. yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, Ellen and Ashley, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure hearing your story and learning, you know, how you guys farm up there and just the uh, challenges along the way as it were. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.